You're listening to the West Chester Church Podcast. Check us out at westchestercfc.com. By God. That's westchestercfc.com. It is just one of those things where we know that it's happening in that moment. And that's because we feel so ecstatic that we feel lightheaded. And we feel so ecstatically lightheaded that we are in a state of disorientation. It's a moment where we, where there's something that is happening in our lives that is so sublime that we are smiling so hard that it begins aching on our face. And everything within us just wants to, to shout out loud and to dance in the streets because of how happy, because of how joyful we are. It was what, what a woman had experienced in Florida not that long ago. She, she had played the lottery one, one evening and she discovered on the very next morning that, that she had just won $590 million. Oh, I mean, imagine how different your life would be tomorrow if you woke up and you learned that you just won almost $600 million, that you would never work another day in your life and that for the rest of your life, you could do whatever you wanted to do. I imagine learning that you won $590 million might take a moment to really sink in. It's you, Kendra, it's you. It's you, It's you. You won. You're today's kid show, kid reporter winner. You're the winner, Kendra. Where it's like, am I dreaming right now? Is this really happening in my life? Yes, this, this actually is happening in my life right now. It was a woman who we met not that long ago at another church. We had a food pantry at this congregation, and it was on a Wednesday night, and she had been in stage four cancer for, for a very long time. Her doctors had given her maybe months to live at that point. But Edith walks up to me and she says, David, you are not going to believe this, but my, I just had an appointment. And my doctor said, we don't know how this happened, but you are now in remission. Your cancer is gone. And I mean, it, it felt like she had been dreaming, she had said. I mean, I, I thought that I was dead, but God has given me more time to live. He's given me more days that, that I never had expected to even happen in my life. This was the kind of happiness that had unfolded in this very region not that long ago as the Eagles won a Super Bowl for the very first time. I mean, here's what it looked like right here. Sports bars just, just overflowing with elation, spilling into the streets, fireworks going off in the sky, fires being set in the streets. I mean, after all of those horrible years of, of suffering through Philadelphia Eagles football, they just won the Super Bowl. I mean, it's just, you just, you just don't even realize what you're doing. You, you are dancing in the streets like a crazy person. You look like a lunatic. You're so happy. And it's just like, I can't believe that this is happening right now. 
And what we need to understand about these moments is that this is not happiness. This is not somebody merely having a good day. This is euphoria. This is an elation that is so, so intense that, that we're lapsing into a state of delirium. And as we come to the book of Colossians, in Colossians chapter 2, Paul is writing to the church of Colossae, and, and largely what, what he's writing them about is to establish what their identity is in Jesus Christ. He's explaining this is who Jesus is. You think that he's great, but he's so much greater than even you are aware of in this moment in time. And this church is very weary and frustrated. And what he writes to them there in Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 6, let us hear this very, very slowly and carefully. Where what the Apostle Paul says is, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed. And then notice how he then says, And be overflowing with gratitude. And you know, this really is, this, this whole sense of, of overflowing, that, that word in the original language means to, to exceed the ordinary amount. It's a word which also means that you have an overabundant surplus of something. And this really is the way that God works in our lives. Now we had seen not not all that long ago in our Sunday morning lessons about how Israel is standing at the Jordan River and God wants Joshua to lead three million people across the Jordan River, but the only problem is, is that God waits until it's at flood stage. And so he looks at the Jordan River and it's just overflowing in the banks and Joshua's like on the night before, how is this even going to happen? Because here's what it looks like. I mean, it's what the Jordan River looks like. I mean, it's, it's just overflowing wildly. Water's traveling 20 to 25 miles per hour, and, and yet God delivers his people. And you see, this is so, so symbolic of the way that God works through, through our obstacles, where it feels like everything in our lives right now, whatever our adversity might be, it's just overflowing. And yet somehow, in some way, we don't know how God does this, but we overcome it through his power. See, this is God's presence in our lives. As King David has all of these, these enemies and adversaries who are after his very life, and, and yet nonetheless he says that, that God, your very presence in my life, you have, you have prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil, and now because I've got your presence in my life, my cup is now overflowing. See, this is God's presence in our life. This is the way God blesses us. Lord, we have this huge, enormous multitude, as we read in the gospel books. More than 5,000 men, and, and I mean, how are we ever going to, to feed all of these people, God? And yet, with just five loaves of bread and a couple of fishes, it says Jesus feeds all of these thousands of people. It says that, that all the people had been eaten and had been satisfied. And yet that is never where, where Jesus Christ stops, though, because he blesses us and then some. Where it says, and it explains how all of the, 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 the apostles were walking around afterwards and they picked up 12 basketfuls of leftovers. 
It reminds us so much of the way Jesus blesses our lives, where he doesn't just bless us, but, but our cup is always overflowing. And yet, what the Apostle Paul is now expressing to us is, have gratitude that you are a Christian. But don't just have gratitude. Be overflowing in your gratitude that you are alive in Jesus Christ. And yet... Here is what our problem is so oftentimes, is that we look at joy as if it were only for special occasions, where a lot of times in our lives, if something very huge happens, it seems like our relationship with joy is that joy is this very rare emotion that only comes maybe a handful of times in our lives, if we're very lucky, that is. Joy is something that we feel when everything in our life seems to be perfect and going our way. And yet then, inescapably and inevitably, once the happiness begins to rub off, once all of the novelty of that happiness begins and it starts dissolving into the mundane and into monotony, well, then my joy is going to be dead. And it's back to reality. It's back to the grind and I'm not going to have any joy anymore. I mean, it's something that, that is in our language as 21st century people, where when, if we have a promotion at work, if we have a brand new car sparkling in our driveway, if we receive a master's degree at graduation time, if we retire after a long time on the job, at the birth of our children, grandchildren, or whatever it might be, in these very special euphoric moments, what comes out of our mouths in these moments is, I am so blessed, and God is so good. And we need to be expressing this in these moments, because it's absolutely true. And yet, here is what the Apostle Paul is inviting us to, though. You see, what Paul is introducing us to is to this brand new way of thinking, to this brand new way of living and existing that completely changes everything, that turns this flat on its back. It's that in Christ, it's always thanksgiving. That as long as Jesus Christ is our Lord, what this means for, for you and for I is that every moment of every day, in any circumstance in our lifetime, we have so much gratitude in Jesus Christ that from the very depths of our soul, at any and every circumstance in our lives, we perpetually feel like that woman, Edith, who had just discovered so unexpectedly that she was now in remission. As we stop and think about it, Jesus has healed us from, from far worse infirmities. Infirmities known of as sin. Is that we perpetually feel like, whether we are happy or we are sad, is that we always feel just like that woman of Florida who won $590 million. Because as Christians, we have far greater riches in Jesus Christ. Is that we perpetually, is that we, we are constantly feeling as if we just won a Super Bowl. We have far greater victories as, as Christians. We, we have triumphed so many times over what once had felt as if it were impossible. 
And if we go over maybe a page or two to the left into the book of Philippians here, here's what the attitude of the Apostle Paul was so, so relentlessly. Or in chapter 4, Philippians and verse 4, what does Paul say? He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'm going to say it to you. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. You see, it's, it's so easy to rejoice in a delivery room. And yet, what about at the funeral parlor? Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. It's the easiest thing in the world that we rejoice at a wedding. And yet, what about when a person's spouse leaves them, either in death or in divorce? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. It's natural that we rejoice on the 4th of July. And yet what about at 9-11 or Pearl Harbor? What about in this modern day where it seems like every morning as we go to work, all of our flags are flying at half-mast? What Paul says is rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. It's easy and it's understandable that we are rejoicing at 4.30 on Friday afternoon, but, but what about 6.45 a.m. on Monday morning? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. In those seasons in our life where, where it feels like sunshine is beaming down on us and it's a perfect summer day, it's understandable that we're rejoicing and saying God is so good, but but what Paul is also saying is that when our lives feel as if it were, were a cold winter morning, when our very lives are as dark as midnight itself, that this also is a time for us all to say, God is so good, and I am so blessed, supremely. You see, it reminds me of a woman who I heard about not that long ago. Her name is, is Jane Piper. And she had been attacked and raped in a very vicious way by, by a man who got 20 years in prison for it. But as she, as she was, was in court, here's what, what Jane Piper said to her aggressor. She said that you brutally raped me while punching me in the face again and again and again. That this is such a horrible thing you did to my life. But I do not condemn you. I forgive you. And then she says, now go and do something good with your life for the next 20 years. You can almost hear Jesus in those words saying to the woman caught in adultery, and now go and from now on sin no more. And it's amazing how even after all of the trauma that she underwent at the hands of this maniac, Jane Piper still had love in her soul. It's a man whose name is, is, is Joe Holcomb. He's 86 years old. He's in the middle of the picture there. But this is a very haunting picture right here. And that's because of all 11 people in this picture. Two years ago, they all went to a church service. And eight of them had been gunned down in the pews, lost their lives at the exact same time. Three generations of this man's family gone in the blink of an eye. He lost his son, on the far right, he lost um, a daughter-in-law. He lost his grandson and, and his wife, who, by the way, had been pregnant at the time with his great-grandchild. 
And he lost four of his great-grandchildren in this very picture. And I mean, we would think that of all the people who've ever lived, this guy might have a hall pass to complain and to go around mad at the world and, and even at God and to walk away from God. We, we might understand if of all people this guy had done that. And yet right after this, this horrific tragedy happened in Texas, what he said was, we know where they are now that all of our family members are Christians and it won't be long until we are with them again. After losing three generations in his family in as many minutes, this man still had joy in his heart. It's our sister Nadine where just over a year ago in the very spot where I'm standing at this very moment, our sister Nadine came forward and she said that my cancer has returned. And I'll never forget this. She, she looked me right in the eye and said, David, I'm scared. And I saw this, this congregation surround a sister in Christ in ways that, that I've never seen a church do so. I mean, there was just so much love and so much spirit in this room that day. And just a couple of weeks ago, as I sat there at, at her bed, she was 48 hours away from being lowered into the ground. And I'm just looking at this depleted husk of a human being, this 60-pound this skeletal figure of what once was who was being vanquished by, by her cancer. Yes, there was still pain in her eyes. Yes, she was still writhing in that pain. Yes, it still took all of her, her energy just to, to sit up in bed and to give me a hug. But, but when you looked in those world-weary eyes, you could still see that, that even after all of the pain that had been afflicted upon her body, that she still had the peace of Jesus Christ. And I was told that by, by everybody who was there just before she passed, that, that she had that joy. She had peace in Jesus Christ to her last breath. And you see, this is what happens when our joy is rooted in eternal things. And not exclusively in sports or in money or in Wall Street, but, but if we're like Nadine, if we're like her family, and we, we have joy rooted in the things which, which cannot be ravaged by time. You see, this is what happens when we understand what joy is. I think a lot of the time we confuse joy and happiness. Happiness comes and goes in a second. Happiness is when we are smiling ear to ear, and yet joy, though, is much different than that. You see, the very meaning of the word joy in the New Testament is to delight and to rest securely in the grace of Jesus Christ. You see, it's not about how big our smile is. I mean, oftentimes we cannot smile. But even in those moments, even in these kind of moments right here that, that I've been referring to in succession this morning, we can still have the peace, the hope, the security, the joy, and the confidence of life in Jesus Christ burning in our souls. We remember that it's through many tribulations that we enter the kingdom. I mean, I would say joy only smiles maybe 30% of the time. And yet that other 70% of the time, we can still have joy even though we cannot outwardly show it. 
I think the ultimate example of this is, is, is Jesus in Gethsemane and at the cross. Where it says in the book of Hebrews, who for the joy, the joy set before him, he endured the cross and despised its shame. You see, Jesus was not smiling ear to ear as he hung on the cross or, or as he wept in Gethsemane. And yet he had joy burning and consuming his very soul every moment every step of the way. But what we see really in all of this, though, is that no, joy is not some special occasion that, that only comes once or twice if we're lucky, but rather overflowing in a state of joy and of gratitude. These are a synonym for Christianity itself. I don't know if you ever knew this before, but there, there is actually an example of a Thanksgiving day in Scripture. We read about Paul and Silas going to a place on a day of Thanksgiving. And yet there was no mashed potatoes and gravy, though. And there was no ham or turkey. And there was no pumpkin pie. And there was no, no NFL football on a big screen. He was not in a warm house with his friends and his relatives. Rather, of all places, he is locked away in a prison. And it's at midnight. And in fact, what we read about this is, it says how the crowd rose up together against them and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. That when they had struck them with many blows, it says, they, they then threw them into prison, commanding that jailer to, to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and he fastened their, their feet in the stocks. And you better believe that, that every move that these men made, every bone in their body exploded in excruciating pain. How their backs had been beaten black and blue. How they knew that we might not get out of this, this jail alive. We don't know if we're going to live or if we're going to die. I mean, they don't even have a bite that we are, we are told that they even ate in that jail. But what we've seen so far in this year in our series on the Sermon on the Mount is that there is an entirely other feast that is out there. It is a spiritual feast. It is a spiritual feast that is so much more fulfilling to our bodies than anything physical that we could ever eat. And this is that, that kind of feast Paul and Silas had that night. Oh, by the way, I mean, reputation is everything also in this age. And when Paul goes away into prison, that, that is an assassination on his reputation for, for a lot of people. Because no longer is it Paul is this, this great rabbi and a great Pharisee. Now it's Paul is, is um, a felon. Paul is a prisoner. He is a jailbird. And yet we marvel, though, at his response to all of this. Here's what his response was, where he's in this jail, he's just been completely beaten up to a pulp, and yet he knows it as it's happening. You see, he is so ecstatic that he feels lightheaded, and he's so ecstatically lightheaded that, that he is disoriented by it. And there is so much happiness consuming his very heart that he wants to, to just dance 
and to shout out loud how happy he is. And by the way, that's exactly what he does. Where it says that at about midnight, Paul and Silas had been praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Paul and Silas are having Thanksgiving at midnight. It's what we find Job doing, is Job seems to have lost everything in his life. He's lost all of his children, just as Joe, Joe Holcomb had. He loses his health, he loses his wealth. And now, understandably, from a human perspective, his wife comes before him and says, listen, I've lost my faith in God altogether. Just, just curse God and die. And that reminds Job that, you know, it feels like I've lost everything in my life. But I've got a God in heaven still. And as long as I've got that God on my side and, and who loves me, then I've got everything in this world. And of all people who we read about in Scripture, it is Job who, who just erupts and who shouts out loud to God in worship. He says, blessed be the name of the Lord. You give and you take away, but nonetheless, blessed be the name of the Lord God. Amen. And he has thanksgiving in, in his midnight. It's what we find Jeremiah doing in the book of Lamentations as Lamentations opens up and, and we see Jeremiah seated there in the streets. He says, what, what happened to my beloved city? This great nation which which." at one time had so much splendor, now has been brought down to the ground. And the blood of, of everyone I've ever known is now running red in the streets. They have been, been led away into captivity. And yet even though Jeremiah says that, that it feels like I have completely forgotten what it feels like to be happy or to, to have hope in my life, of all of the books in Scripture, it's, it is sad, depressing lamentation which is the one that has brought us that song that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end, but rather they are new every single morning. And he says, great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, and therefore I have hope in Jesus Christ. Or as he would have said, I have hope in Jehovah and in Yahweh. Jeremiah had Thanksgiving at midnight. We can go through so many people in Scripture and see that, that after all of the horrible things that they had been through, they still had joy. They still had hope. And they still had faith in their hearts. Their hearts, in every single one of these instances, no matter what they were going through, no matter how hellish it was, just as Paul writes, their, their very souls have been overflowing in a state of thanksgiving. And this is what God wants for, for every one of our, our lives to be like as well. No matter what we've been through, that we be that cup that is always in a state of overflowing. You see, no matter what they went through, their attitude was, God is so great, and I am so richly blessed. And this is what it teaches us about joy. It's that joy is, not a, joy is not a special occasion, but rather joy is a choice. Joy is a choice that, that we can either make 
or that we can reject for ourselves. In that very same fourth chapter in the book of Philippians, notice what what the Apostle Paul then says. Where he says in verse 6, Be anxious for nothing but in everything. Notice everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Paul says. Let your requests be made known to God. And if we will just do this, and I know it's not easy, it's not going to be instant, is it? But if this becomes our very habit and and our response, if we also praise God and we have thanksgiving in our midnight, a promise is made to us in verse 7 where it says, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will, that is a promise, church, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Then he says in verse 8, finally, brethren, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable and right and pure and lovely and of good repute, anything excellent or anything worthy of praise, he says, dwell on these things rather than on on the pain and on the midnight. And it was just before Anne Frank had died that, that one of the very last things that she ever had composed in her diaries was this, where she said that I don't think of all of the misery. I think about the beauty that still remains. I mean, how beautiful would that be if we lived this way? This is really what the Apostle Paul is saying, in other words. Don't think about all of the misery, but rather think about all of the beauty that that we have in Jesus Christ. And watch all of that, that pain and anxiety flee from us. Until the next time. I was absolutely amazed hearing this from a neurologist once. What he said was, he said, scientists have discovered that when we are actively blessing other people, that the neuron pathway in our brains to worry and fear, it's instantaneously blocked. And then this where he says that that in the physical sense, you cannot be both grateful and anxious at the same time. I mean, think about how seismic that is, that in the physical sense, you cannot be grateful and anxious at the same time. And as a poster boy of anxiety and of anxiety disorders, a person who has spent 35 years trying to, to, I mean, just desperately learn how to live in a grateful manner, I'm telling you that every single time that, that I, I make gratitude my one and only thought, that I'm no longer feeling anxious in my heart. So as we bring this to a close this morning, now really the most important question is is this, that after all of the things that we have been through, and we have been through some hellish things in this room, I know that we have, we have been through things that we don't even want to talk about, but after all of the things that we have been through, Do we still have joy? Do we still have hope? Do we still have the peace of Jesus Christ guarding our hearts and minds and faith? And so what I want to invite us to, I know that it sounds easier said than done. Trust me. And yet, it's so simple, but it's so true. Choose joy today. And if there's going to be a tomorrow, choose joy tomorrow. Really, what, what the Apostle Paul says there in Philippians 4, if we, we, we were to just narrow it down to just two words, 
Really what he's saying in that chapter is this, choose joy. The way that we choose joy, he says, is to be overflowing in gratitude as we, we pray and as we worship God. And then lastly, what I want to invite us to is that that very next time when, when our life feels like midnight, that very next time as we experience what is known of as the dark night of the soul, we need to ask ourselves, what song am I singing in my midnight. Still have joy. Still Maybe you do not have joy this morning. Maybe your, your um, faith is a thing of the past this morning. And if that is you, I do not shame you for that at all because I've been there myself many times. So if you have a need this morning, if you want joy again, if you want peace, if you want happiness in Jesus Christ once again, if you need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, Whatever your need is this morning, please make it known, and you will find that joy as we stand and as we sing.